Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Sunday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast. Thriller as the Warriors come back from down 25 points against the Spurs, but it was marred by a controversial ankle injury to Kawhi Leonard. We'll get into that, talk about how the end of the game unfolded as Golden State was able to pull it out late. We're sponsored today by Bespoke Post. New sponsor. Check out trythepost.com slash capspace. Or use the code CAPSPACE at checkout and get 20% off your first box. I'll tell you more about what they're all about a little bit later in the show. And of course, our friends at Helix Sleep, a longtime sponsor, and rightfully so because I sleep on their mattress. HelixSleep.com slash CAPSPACE gets you $50 off your customized mattress. So I was saying this to a couple of people after the game. I almost, I kind of just felt dirty after the game because it, it was a thrilling comeback. Would have been a great win, but it just, my enjoyment of the whole thing was marred by the fact that Kawhi Leonard was out and also that you know it happened on kind of a controversial play which uh I think was a, a pretty cheap play by Pachulia I'm conflicted on it I think that there are uh, you you probably know better as a big man closing out than I do actually but I saw it as kind of two different things at once one was the idea of we've, we've talked about this with Matthew Delvadopa before about like the line between recklessness and dirtiness and I think of dirty as being more of an intent thing I don't think there was much intent here to injure. There was intent to get out there, but you can be a certain degree of reckless where the difference doesn't really matter that much. Yeah, I I think that's right because uh, at the very least, you know, you can't get into a guy's head and say, all right, I know what I'm going to do here. This guy sprained his ankle. He may not have even been aware of the fact that Kawhi Leonard kind of went into the stand and sprained his ankle again on David Lee's foot, just trying to run back down floor. Uh, But there's no real legitimate reason for him to land and then take another slide right underneath Kawhi Leonard after that, right? It's it's just one of those plays where it's sort of like, you certainly could stop yourself. It's just kind of like, oh, no, I'm just going to like maybe put a little something extra on here uh, and... Uh, that's what ended up happening it, it was really a shame that uh, Kawhi had that injury and now you know certainly the one that he had where he injured it on Lee I mean that's one of those ones where you're just kind of more susceptible to it I think you know it's not like the, that he's going around spraining his ankle all the time before this the, the way Steph was uh but really a shame that it was the same ankle both times and obviously he was more vulnerable uh to re-spraining it with Pachulia underneath him yeah it's definitely a play where it could have been avoided 
at the very very least uh and you know zaza pachulia every interaction i've had with him he's been extremely gracious by all accounts he's you know a great influence in his home country of georgia this doesn't make him a bad person necessarily but that was not a play uh that i thought was particularly clean we'll put it that way and it comes on the heel i hadn't remembered this at all andrew mcneil i think is the one who i saw tweeted out but there was a piece for pounding the rock which is the spurs sbn blog from february of 2016 talking about zaza pachulia and they were frustrated about some about some plays and the way that he was kind of using his elbows and everything like that and so it is kind of amazing that it happened against the same opponent as some of that other stuff and it, it's always complicated and yeah so that's I back when he was still on the maps huh correct yeah that's when he was on the mavericks yeah. and so uh, it just although kind many of- many pointed out the delicious irony of spurs fans who cheered every move of bruce bowen uh getting angry about this play as well right and there's also a history of kind of big men being awkward on on closeouts like i was remembering the al, al horford thing earlier in these playoffs you know like it yeah. does happen from time to time and that's why i that's why i kind of drew the line between intention and recklessness and you never know and it, it's it's tough and at a certain point that part of it isn't really prescriptive it's just where do we go from here and you and i had talked after the first issue the one with david lee about whether it would be worth it to just sit Kawhi, basically just say either for a long time or maybe even for the whole game just to not chance it because they were up by i think at that time they were up by like 22 and i think we found out a little bit of why that might not have worked Yeah. Well, it really, and should we talk a little bit first? And I agree with you. I mean, I, I wasn't necessarily in favor of that strategy. I was just pointing it out as maybe something that, that they could try. But, you know, I, ironically, had they tried that, and I'm not saying they should have, but had they tried that, they probably would have been in better shape in this series now. Uh, even if, assuming that the comeback would have happened the same way as it did, because at least Kawhi would probably be okay for the next game. But I mean, he came back in, he looked okay. Uh, so uh, during, at least during that brief period and i mean we should talk about it now too of just how incredibly dominant both he and lamarcus aldridge were in the first half when they combined for 35 points right and there are a lot of things that you can take away from that stretch and the most important thing for me long term because it affects this series and maybe the next one who knows who advances but the warriors might have taken away the wrong lesson more importantly their coaching staff taken away the wrong lessons from this game because they got smoked playing too big and staying too big in that first half and they kept Zaza Pachulia on the floor the entire third quarter and ended up doing well part of the reason that that worked was that the Spurs were able to get all of these matchups and hide the players that we thought they weren't going to be able to hide not only that but Golden State shot horrendously at the rim in the first half and you were kind enough to get the shot charts out they were five out of 13 at the rim in the first half Gasol uh, although he got into foul trouble was effective when he was back there at the rim and the way they were able to get away with that is because Pachulia was on the floor and then you saw in the second half now and, and then also part of the reason for that was that the Warriors offense was just kind of screwing around and just not giving the ball you know they ran maybe like three four pick and rolls in the whole first half like it was really like pretty ridiculous uh and now not that they ran as many in the second half but they got plenty of switches like they're running a lot of uh, pushing the ball more just letting their stars improvise more in the second half but yeah I mean their offense was bad the rotations although you know I, I was going 
crazy because Iguodala was out, but now this this issue that he had with his knee seems to be uh, you know the reason why uh, tendonitis uh, they think in his left knee, but he's going to get an MRI after the game and they'll see whether it's uh, whether it's something more serious than that. But you have to imagine he's probably going to at least sit game two, uh, and that's what Marcus Thompson speculated in, in his piece after the game. So uh, they got away with playing two bigs more and didn't make them defend in space, as we said was such a key. And then the Spurs, for their part, they shot 12 of 13 at the rim in the first half and a lot of that was just guys going in for dunks offensive rebounds uh getting out in transition after turnovers the Warriors of course turned it over a ton in the first half and the Warriors coming into this game had allowed only 53 percent shooting at the rim in the playoffs and that was obviously extremely impressive they do a great job protecting the rim but we're not able to do, do so in the first half so you had a lot of different things going at the same point the first half reminded me of two different big ideas. One was that the Warriors offense, thanks to the Spurs playing excellent defense, the way they were attacking was was great. The Warriors offense looked like what the Warriors defense tries to make other teams offenses look like. They In the first half, they were stagnant. They were doing isolations. A lot of their shots were becoming deep twos instead of threes. And that's a mix. You know, San Antonio was doing a wonderful job. The Warriors were being satisfied with things that they, that they don't usually do. And so you had this regression to the mean that was always coming just, just because part of it was that. I mean, the 5 of 13 and 12 of 13 is a good representation of that. But the fact that that part came on the heels of the Spurs losing their best player and having absolutely no suitable replacement made it hard to really suss out everything in that game other than San Antonio was just killing them in the first half. Yeah, well, even during the time that Leonard was in in the second half, San Antonio was kind of scoring with the Warriors, but a lot of them were some pretty lucky shots. Like there was a play where they had a guy get on the floor and then, you know, it went to LaMarcus Aldridge at, at the last second and he hit a three or John Simmons hit an impossible contested three and somebody like rimmed in a, a pretty difficult layup. And and the Warriors were, you know, working great. I mean, Steph Curry's start to the third quarter was unbelievable. I thought in the first half, the Warriors defense really had a lot of errors i mean there were uh, usually you'll see them communicate really well there was a play where Draymond green was trying to switch everyone around behind the play and Pachulia didn't understand him and then they threw it inside and, and had to force emergency help and then they got a three the last play of the first half was steph curry helping on Kawhi when he pretty much had already been cut off off the strong side corner to off their best three-point shooter danny green and giving up a wide open corner three to put the spurs back up 20 at, at halftime uh, there are a lot of kind of those really bad plays and they didn't ha- really have the level of energy and then in the third quarter uh, of course everyone put it up Draymond Green as well and I thought that was the, the big thing was that and, and obviously Kawhi going out as well was that they finally forced the Spurs into doing a, a lot of one-on-one and the Spurs were able to force the Warriors into that in the first half because they were switching everything off the ball uh that were screens but then they just weren't doing anything from the top of the key weren't doing any high pick and rolls the bigs were able to just kind of hang out in the lane and they, they weren't able to get open on a lot of those split cuts and then there was more space in the second half and also the Warriors were able to start adjusting more to the fact that they were switching and run some plays to take advantage of that. One of the biggest things that happened in the beginning of that third quarter so Curry had 11 points in the first three minutes and 15 seconds of the third quarter which is I think pretty close to the amount of time that Kawhi played. I I don't remember if it lined up exactly but I think that's somewhat close. Yeah. But but so what happened was they were setting these really high well not 
not really high, but high for the Warriors, screened by Pachulia. And it was something we talked about before the series. It's basically the only way that that big, the center was going to work is because if San Antonio can't have their big hang back, if Pachulia is setting a screen, because it's going to create these lanes for Curry. And he had three threes in that time. And, and from off the top of my head, all three of them were really wide open. And it illustrated a flaw that the Spurs are, are going to have to correct because the, if, even if the Warriors go small, they can still do that with someone else. All right, we'll get to more of this game. Why, why did Clay Thompson struggle? Uh, some of the rotational decisions that both coaches had to make. And then, of course, uh, go through the play-by-play at the end of the game with some analysis. But first, this from a new sponsor, Bespoke Post. One of our most precious resources is time. And shopping actually takes time. That, as a guy, is what I like the least about shopping, frankly, is having to go through and try to find a bunch of different things that, that are cool, especially because you know there are many types of products that I'm just not really aware of at all. Bespoke Post is built for how guys shop. It's a subscription model. a month, but you always get at least a $70 value each month. They pick out the best things that they come across. You give them your overall preferences, and then they give you the option each month on whether you'd like to opt in or opt out of the products. And so some of the things that were on there, one of them in particular is just a product I didn't realize I needed until I saw it. I was like, yeah, this is actually a beautiful piece. It's their weekender bag great for just a quick trip that you're taking with your significant other or if you're going to visit your buddies for the weekend you don't want to carry on but it still is really stylish so each month you get a chance to preview your box before it ships you have five days to review your box you can look at detailed photos tips and tricks and you can either switch to another box skip it or get it then you sit back and relax your hand-picked box gets delivered mid-months free shipping free exchanges and no hassles at all so the way to get started with them is at the website trythepost.com slash capspace. Trythepost.com slash capspace. Easy to remember that URL because we talk about capspace all the time on the program. Once again, trythepost.com slash capspace, or you can just use that promo code capspace as well when you get in there. Once again, that's bestbokepost, trythepost.com slash capspace, and that'll let them know that you came from us. Why do Clay Thompson struggle so much in this one, Danny? Remember how we talked before about how the Rockets, their shooting is kind of, it might be that it's more dependent on three-point defense just because they're going to shoot them anyway. There were elements of that in Clay today where some of the shots he took were just worse and some of them just didn't go in. I thought he was okay defensively. He was, you know, fine, fine defensively, but offensively, the shots he was getting weren't as good and he he takes some of those anyway, just because that's that's what Clay does. But also, you know, I, I think if he had been four of 12, that wouldn't have surprised me at all, considering the looks he was getting. One of the key markers for him to me is how many three-point shots is he getting? The more three-point shots, the better. Because his shots are not generally efficient from two-point range, unless he's kind of wide open. I mean, you know, he's got to kind of take those. It's part of the actions that they run. You need to guard him there, obviously. But that shows, number one, that they're taking away the three. And number two, that most two-pointers that he gets are not going to be wide open. A lot of his threes are. And so that's not necessarily his fault. But frankly, the way they're defending the Warriors, I don't think he's, I think he's just going to not have that big of a series. And Steph Curry had 40 and Kevin Durant had 34 and both of them were spectacularly efficient and that happened because they're not helping off at Klay Thompson really for just about any reason he got one wide open three late but that was that was about it and also I think Thompson is one of the guys who 
suffers the most when they don't go small uh as well but uh it's because he can't get as many mismatches there's just not as much space for him to drive and get to the rim the passing angles are harder but in general i think he's just he is the third option on this team and should be uh especially when you know they're really selling out to stop him that's fine like steph curry and kevin durant can go score 74 points and be really efficient for you instead i mean they put up a buck 13 uh even after a 16 point first quarter and and look great so i really don't see uh a huge issue with that you know unless clay is really gonna let it affect the other parts of his game and he and he usually does and then you know if the spurs adjust then thompson will be open more often i don't think that the answer is we're gonna run more plays for clay thompson it's they're taking away clay thompson let's just let steph steph curry and kevin durant go nuts right it goes along with the idea that we talked about during the 2015 finals about how the warriors were getting the like when teams were forcing on curry and the and they were playing four on three with Draymond having the ball. It was really three on two during those stretches yeah. because Amon Shumpert was on Clay, and it makes things so much easier for all the other guys. And of course, if Clay has a real mismatch, you know, I don't, th- I don't think if you put if the Spurs put Channing or not Channing Fry, uh, sorry, Patty Mills on him, that you think about it the same way. But if they can just put a, a solid enough defender on him, and you basically take that guy out of the game, that's a trade off the Warriors should be willing to make. There might not be another team on the planet that would be willing to unless you transported him to the Cavs but the Warriors can pull that off if you want to play four on four with their other guys so be it so a few interesting stat lines from this game Manu Ginobili was unbelievable 17 points 7 to 10 from the field three steals uh was pretty outstanding I mean as good of a game as you could possibly expect from him Kawhi 26 points on 7 of 13 and 11 of 11 from the foul line although he did oh yeah the other play I forgot about at the beginning of the third was that that call where he drove into Kevin Durant and there was basically like no contact that was not a good call uh and I thought it was an unevenly referee game we could talk about that more but Kawhi had four offensive rebounds and you know what's crazy about this game Danny the Spurs had 35 percent offensive rebounds wow man they must have dominated on the boards right uh no actually the Warriors had 43 percent offensive rebounds this was like a game out of like 1986 with these offensive rebound rates and everyone was playing small most of the game and it was when it was interesting when these teams play small there are almost a lot more opportunities for offensive rebounds there are fewer guys boxing out yeah Yeah, i I agree with yeah even if they're both playing small so it's not it's not like you have like these awesome huge bigs who are just like killing them on the boards it's more just small against small you got guys crashing in random dudes just have to be under the paint a bunch of switches have taken place you you can get a box out if you're a bigger guy if you've got some athleticism uh you can just like box out a point guard or something on the offensive glass there's a lot of little opportunities and and frankly although the spurs were great on the offensive glass themselves uh the warriors are kind of better especially when they really ramp it up ramp up the effort at getting onto the offensive glass in those situations as we saw with the ridiculous number of offensive boards they had 17 in all in this game despite the fact that you know they shot pretty well after the first quarter yeah they had three offensive rebounds and only had seven misses in the fourth quarter so that gives you kind of an idea and also something i thought that was was fascinating about this game so the spurs led eight to seven in fast break points in the first half second half 25 to four that's unbelievable and i haven't had a chance to go back and watch the 18-0 run yet i thought actually that and i can't remember the exact play but they scored like one bucket and i was like wow this is as loud as i've ever heard it in here this is like 2013 levels and then they scored it got a stop and scored again and i was like wow this must have been like what it was like in 2007 because it was like ear 
ear splittingly loud like my eardrums actually like hurt like we were trying to have conversations like sitting right next to each other like we couldn't hear each other it was the second loudest i have ever heard oracle in my time covering the team which is since 2009 and the loudest was 2013 when they closed out the nuggets but other than that it was up there and that's so amazing considering the crowd was dead and i I think for a decent reason considering how awfully the first they played in the first half the team was dead in the first half they just got so enthused by what happened and it got later in the day it was an early start and all that sort of stuff but yeah i mean you had a lot of different things going once and i wanted another stat beyond the transition points i thought was good espn stats and info had this and ramona shelburne tweeted out yeah in in the first half the warriors had 38 field goal attempts only 13 of those came off a pass the other 25 they shot 5 of 25 how do you think lamarcus aldridge played in this game he did have a a spectacular first half with 17 points finished with 28 points 11 of 24 from the field uh did have six turnovers uh three steals one block uh, I mean, some people were saying like, oh, you know, he needs to do more takeover. I mean, I thought even down the end is we'll, we'll get to. Uh, I mean, I didn't think that he was playing badly. It's just too much to ask for him to go and score in the post and put up 35 points efficiently against this amazing defensive team as the only offensive option when, once Kawhi was out of the game. Offensively, he reminds me so much of Kevin Love, where Kevin Love is wonderful at taking advantage of mismatches and the Spurs did a much, much better job in in the first half of generating those by doing pick and rolls the Warriors attacking on switches there was even yeah. one play I thought he was he had the advantage on Kevin Durant I liked when they would do like three four action get the switch and then go to him on Durant yeah they were doing some nice things there and and there was one possession that stuck out to me that Draymond actually scrammed Curry while while Aldridge had the ball I, I don't think I've ever seen that before like while a guy, no, a guy well, is that, already, that, yeah no like, you definitely can do that, that that's something yeah but that, in the way like because he was kind of starting his back down and they just switched to the guy guarding him because Draymond just ran up and told him to run away but it was it was fascinating in that way and then what happened in the second half was the best defender for LaMarcus Aldridge is Draymond Green Draymond was on LaMarcus a lot more LaMarcus struggled that's not a big surprise yeah the two plays they did have good effect on out of timeouts were uh having Aldridge duck in on Green that's one of Green's weaknesses is he's not that good uh preventing duck-ins because he's so focused on being able to help as well uh I thought DeJounte Murray gave them some great minutes as well. Six points, three out of six. Uh, Had like a nice uh, precocious floater over Kevin Durant. Had a putback in the fourth quarter. Uh, He was pretty solid, I thought. And, you know, John Simmons, while he was negative 17, I didn't think that that was necessarily his fault. I mean, and and Simmons, two out of three on threes. He had another tough jumper. Like anytime he walks into Oracle Arena, apparently like he's going to hit every jumper. If you remember that first game of the year when he was like five out of five on threes. Other than Kawhi, the guy who was the plus minus king for the for the Spurs was another surprising development in this game. David Lee wasn't necessarily that he was great when he was on the floor, but I assumed that he was going to get the most Bates treatment, which is basically just go after his defensive weakness as much as you can until he until they pull him. And yeah. maybe it's because it was Mike Brown, not Kerr. I don't know exactly what it was. They didn't make Lee defend in space much at all. Well, he also was in during what was a, a key portion of the game when they broke out to that 25 point lead was at the start of the second and that unit especially with Iguodala I mean I think part of the reason that unit hasn't been playing as well is because it seems like Iguodala has kind of been you know it seems like he's been struggling with this knee for a little bit now uh but Lee could was fine in that unit and that was the same unit you'll recall at set with Lee at center uh and I think Danny Green at the four, Simmons, Manu, DeJounte Murray, might have been Mills who was in it rather than Green, but it, that broke open that game six against the Rockets. So 
Pop went back to that. I didn't really think that Pop changed up very much at all. I actually asked a couple of Warriors players after the game, like, was there anything new that they did that you weren't expecting? He was like, no, they basically just posted up Aldridge more than we thought that they might. Uh, but other than that, not really. And, and you know, with Kawhi out, it was going to be a lot of Aldridge post-ups anyway. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, we didn't see like some amazing strategic wrinkle. It was just the Spurs were, uh, played great defense, especially at the rim in the first half. And then, you know, the Warriors started playing with more energy and, and getting stops. I mean, they, they forced seven Spurs turnovers in the third quarter. That was pretty massive. But but the Spurs just uh, like with Kawhi out of the game, especially like they're going to turn the ball over like they have to go one on one. They don't have like great offensive players or shooters. So uh, there's just not really. Uh, and these are some pretty inexperienced guys, too, that are playing some minutes now for the Spurs. So it's just it, it's going to be tough for them when Golden State really ramps up the intensity, even without Iguodala. Yeah, and there were a couple of moments that you, that just happened during this game that you kind of want to just think about for a second. One is Curry getting that steal and three off of a David Lee inbound that ended up being big Draymond getting a technical foul could have ended up looming large and then Kyle Anderson got two baskets to end the third quarter and that put them up put them up nine when it looked like the Warriors were going to cut the lead more again the the first one was off a beautiful pass by Jonathan Simmons and then the second one was just the Warriors not being great in that like last six second defense at the end of a quarter yeah Simmons had a couple of really nice passes in this game that I, I was pretty encouraged by yeah that one to Anderson in the corner when they took away the role guy they took away the first guy he wanted to throw it to and so he basically like passed Kyle Anderson open uh it, it was impressive he basically it was like a, a quarterback going to his third progression on that pass uh, pretty good so uh anything else you want to say about the meat of this game before we get into what happened down the stretch no let's do it so I thought it was notable that uh, Mike Braun despite the absence of Iguodala did go to Draymond Green at center basically for the last six minutes of the game might even been seven minutes he would have normally taken Clay Thompson and Sean Livingston out you know those guys basically played uh like 14 16 straight minutes at the end of the game uh and they still had the energy Livingston I thought was a key figure defensively he actually had four offensive rebounds in this game including a key one that that we'll get to and Greg Popovich countered by going small as well with Aldridge at center I think that's really their only choice Uh, and Gasol I thought was effective in his minutes when he was out there but he did have five fouls in in, uh, his 16 minutes and we can pick it up here Kevin Durant had given the Warriors their first lead of the game with 409 remaining off a switch I mean he in some ways is almost more terrifying and high pick and roll than Curry is uh, just with his ability to pull up from the mid-range or just blow by uh, whoever's guarding him and doing that you know him running high pick and roll with space around him is really just extremely difficult to deal with because he can finish at the rim more easily as well uh, so after Clay Thompson blocked Patty Mills three and a timeout they ran a play for Curry which we saw twice actually where he came off a floppy action from the weak side and Sean Livingston who's they properly put their center on Sean Livingston because he doesn't have three-point range and Livingston was outstanding as a screener I think that's something that the Warriors have practiced a ton of now over the years and because he's able to make a play obviously if you throw it to him as the role guy and Livingston the Warriors will do this all the time they know that it's Aldridge's job to switch out now if they're switching everything and so Livingston just screened his own man on this floppy action got Steph Curry an open three which he missed but then because of all the switching that had happened Draymond Green was being guarded by Simmons and his Steph even this is a great tip for young post players is if you're kind of under the rim start boxing out like kind of before you even expect the shot to go up 
and just like push your guy up the lane he's uh, he's still going to be getting ready to play help defense you can kind of get him with your butt and just do the Moses Malone just like push the guy right up the lane line and clear out space in front of you for the offensive board and that's what Green did it got the tip in to put the Warriors up 103 to 100 but I was really surprised at this point I mean it felt pretty inevitable the Spurs ran a nice little play and got LaMarcus Aldridge a duck in on Draymond Green and Green was called for the foul uh and I think look for that play a lot in after timeout situations in the future in this series because they're going to keep going back to that until Draymond Green prevents LaMarcus Aldridge from just ducking right into the charge circle so LaMarcus got those two free throws made both of those free throws cut it to a one-point margin and then with just under three minutes left Durant had an absolutely horrendous pass that Aldridge ended up getting getting credit for the steal and then I I expected that they were going to score you know like basically right away but then Durant got a block on the first possession and then they ended up scoring on the second on the second shot of the same the same trip down the floor that was just spectacular offense and defense all the way around on that play because they got the switch uh, of Thompson on Aldridge in the post they're trying to enter the ball Thompson did a great job of fronting him and then Monty Ginobili, he threw has thrown a couple of these where he just, even if the guy's like not really open, because what they teach you most of the time is like, all right, if you're going to throw the ball into a guy who's fronted, you got to wait for him to like get it get his guy like really sealed off and Ginobili is like no you know what like this guy's bigger I'm just gonna throw it and I mean he threw just a beautiful pass to Aldridge and then Durant somehow reacted and was able to block Aldridge's little tip shot in the air he just went right back to Aldridge though and and he hit the fadeaway I mean this was you know that was two like nice plays there by LaMarcus Aldridge for everyone who was like oh he like choked at the end he like wasn't good enough or whatever like he just they're down by three and he just scores four quick points to put them up after it looked like you know the game was trending the one wrong way for them and then the next trip down again they ran again this was the time where they ran the same play again i believe and then livingston got the ball this time found clay and clay i mean was that was one of the ones where it's just like make or miss league just missed the open three yeah and then and then an over the backbreaker ish on draymond green and you have your beef with this with these kinds of calls but i thought the contact was sufficient for a foul no i saw that like our angle we couldn't see that well i saw the replay i take that back actually um uh, and yeah i mean that was that was one of those plays where they doubled steph curry i mean they tried different things right they tried switching aldridge on curry or durant they tried doubling curry they he threw the perfect pocket pass to livingston he set up clay for a wide open three uh and just missed it so john simmons makes two free throws and it looked like the warriors were gonna just pull away finally after so many fits and starts i mean this game like how many times did it feel like all right the warriors are inexorably coming back and then the spurs would stem the tide i mean there was one where they cut it to 14 in the first half and the spurs got it right back and then there's like you know that huge 18-0 run but then after that you know they'd cut it to six and the Spurs would go back up 10 or 12 for like you know a good four or five minute period and then this time they finally surged ahead you're like all right you know this they're gonna fold now but the Spurs actually were up three in this game I didn't tell you this 212 remaining when when he made that second free throw I thought the Spurs were gonna win the game that was my feel on it was that it was gonna be like one big miss and then when Curry missed that first three on that possession I went that's why I was thinking it but then that wasn't what ended that trip down the floor no i mean those were those were enormous plays steph missing the three manu was challenging kind of fell into the warriors bench was not able to get back and get the rebound curry got his own offensive rebound looked off a wide open clay thompson at the top i don't know whether it was intentionally but he didn't throw it to him and threw it to kd who was also open on the weak side 
KD took the three, he missed, and then Sean Livingston had a massive tap out to Curry. Curry pump fake, got himself open and hit the three. And that's when it, it was those two possessions in a row. I mean, if the Spurs could get that rebound, come back down, uh, they look a lot better. Then John Simmons, very late in the clock with two on the shot clock, had to drive on Kevin Durant, impossible fadeaway that didn't really have much of a chance. And then Clay Thompson, they ran him off some floppy action. I thought he was going to take a terrible three. He didn't. He drove to his left. And then you called it the best pass of his career. It was, at least off the top of my head. I mean, Clay Thompson, not noted passer, but he saw he saw it because we were at the right angle for it. Like I, I, I had a pretty good vision of what I thought he could see because we're on the same corner. I, I couldn't see that pass and he nailed it and, and hit Draymond right in the hands. And whether or not it was actually a foul, Draymond did make the layup. Yeah, and yeah, I didn't think it was a foul. I, I rewatched it. I They called it on Simmons. I couldn't really see anything that Simmons did on that play. And that, at one point, ended up being pretty key, as it turned out, down the end. Uh, so again, it was good Warriors defense the next time down. Then until Steph Curry lost Danny Green in the corner, he closed out. Green had to pump fake, got off a decent look at a three. Aldridge got the offensive rebound. He went into a, an immediate fadeaway that just like barely spun out. Uh, and that could have brought them within one. And then Danny Green, perhaps still aggrieved about having missed that three, uh, just totally fell asleep defensively. And uh, that put the Warriors up five. And so for a brief second, might have thought, okay, the game is over. But then again, echoing back. Well, well that... so we should say we should say what happened on that play. I was trying to I was trying to lead you into discussing it more, but uh, oh, uh, okay, yeah, fine. Yeah. Uh, but but Curry, you know, they enter the ball to KD, who's guarded by Manu uh, on the isolation zone on the right side, and then Curry kind of starts jogging back door, sees Green turn his head, and then he actually sprinted. I thought live that like Curry just jogged the whole, way, but they actually sprinted, beat Green, and got an easy layup. There was no help available at the rim at all, and Green just goaltended him to put him up five. And I thought we were done. Pop then at this point takes his last time out down five i actually liked that time out though uh down five with 38 seconds remaining the idea being that you have to get the two for one and the time that you would take to get up the floor is better served at that point i have no opposition to it at all and manu got uh, got a drive on sean livingston and made a dunk i mean it was kind of like the livingston dunk earlier in the game where you you knew he had it in him but you didn't think he would have it in him at that moment yeah and you're kind of in i think the words were kind of in no threes defense i'm not sure what really happened on there but you know you probably don't want to go to straight up no threes defense until you the, the shot clock is off uh but yeah so manu had that dunk is his second like very surprising dunk of the playoffs and then i loved the spurs approach afterwards the Warriors had two two timeouts left at that point, but yeah, you might as well inbound it to, to Clay Thompson. There was a seven second differential, I think, at that point. And so they just went right after Clay Thompson. And I like that approach because as long as you've got a chance to play defense, you might as well just trap because you know they're trying to run the time down anyway. And they went and trapped Clay right away in the backcourt, and Patty Mills just took it away from him. It was pretty like you know, they talk about being strong with the ball. That's not what Clay Thompson did on that play. He just got it like ripped out of his hand. It was really really pretty bad and then what did you think of that foul call they called clay for tripping mills right afterwards mills threw it to simmons who was lining up a three actually as they made that call but i mean it probably was a foul but it was interesting you know one of those ones where maybe if, if basketball had an advantage rule you would like to be able to play that but you know i'm not sure how they would ever implement it you know like they do in soccer 
Well, actually, it turns out Danny just had to go do a radio hit. So I'll just finish this part off by myself rather than do the like fallout boy editing him back in afterwards after Milhouse decides he no longer wants to be fallout boy. I thought that was uh, probably the the right call. Mills makes two free throws and they've got a 7.9 second differential. The Warriors got the switch of LaMarcus on Steph Curry and Steph Curry with a pretty lucky shot, basically went to his left and uh, I thought it was good defense by Aldridge Curry went for a one foot floater from the free throw line that somehow just banked in off like the left side of the rim and then the glass but at that point the Spurs had no timeouts left and they pushed the ball up floor this is one of those instances though where if a timeout is called if you're the Warriors you're like all right no threes no threes two doesn't hurt us at all instead Mills pushes it up Clay like really tried to pressure him up in the backcourt so he got the advantage and Draymond Green just like normal help instincts had him kind of in the lane a little bit Lamarcus got a wide open left corner three that he just kind of ganked pretty badly uh I asked Draymond about what happened that play after the game he said I was yelling for everyone to foul and then when we didn't I tried to get out to the corner but you know he acknowledged that he probably should have been more attentive to Aldridge considering the fact that they needed a three so the Spurs were able to get the rebound Mills got fouled with 0.5 left but then after intentionally missing the second one I thought he did a nice job missing the second one they weren't able to corral the rebound Brown put JaVale McKee in to help get it and uh the Warriors won so Danny what are we thinking now for the rest of the series it all starts of course with the health of Kawhi Leonard so you and I have talked a lot about the idea of how uh especially an underdog but anybody really has to win one of the first two games because it's too hard to win four out of five and that puts a ton of pressure on San Antonio in game two and we don't know exactly what we're going to ex- what what to expect from Kawhi all we know is that that he is essential for what they do against the team as good as the Warriors. Yeah, they have no chance of winning over a full game without him here. I mean, this they might like make it kind of miserable at first, but you know, especially after what they just did against Houston, like it's not uh, the Warriors are. I think can avoid a, a mental letdown. Now they have their own issues with Iguodala, but obviously Kawhi is much more important to the Spurs than Iguodala for the Warriors. I mean, how would you be approaching that? Like, let's say it's a similar situation as it was game six and we don't know if that's the case like he, this may be more severe now uh but similar situation as it was in game six right i mean because because they ruled him out early here it wasn't like he, he was able to play down the end this was like two sprains in a row uh so game six it's like all right you know he probably could have played but we're gonna think about maybe holding him out uh would you approach it differently given that they're already down one zero in the series and are nearly certain to go down two zero if they are to lose on tuesday and it sucks for them too because if if the rests were broken up like they we have like this four or five day break right after this like if that had just been between games one and two then it's like a pretty it would have been much easier for them i would handle it differently you have to defer a lot to the medical staff but this is in many ways a must-win game for them so you treat it that way you i think it's closer to game seven a theoretical game seven in the rockets rocket series than game six in that series so if he can give it a go i think you do you of course, worry about re-injury. You worry about all that stuff. Maybe you do reduce his his minutes or his role if he's comfortable with that. But this is, if they want to win the series, they need to win game two. Yeah, it's really tough to say. And their decision may be made for them by the fact that, you know, it's not, a, it's a pretty short turnaround till Tuesday. And so maybe he just like won't be close to 100%. And if he's like limping around and not, like if he doesn't look close to 100%, like in warmups and stuff, like they're not 
not going to play him like that's just that's what they do they, they are not going to play him uh especially because this is a guy i mean this is this is not this year is not their best chance to win a championship over the next four or five years and Kawhi leonard is on a great contract he's gonna be around for a long time like it's not worth it here and i mean frankly maybe maybe their best option even though we said that you know it's still very difficult to come back maybe their best option still is just to like all right try and change the tenor of the series in the two games at home and just have Kawhi as good as it can be for that and then come back and hope to steal game five i mean you know winning three straight against this team is obviously a very very difficult endeavor and i mean steph curry and kevin durant by the way i mean this is another one of those games like remember when we we're like oh man what if what if kevin durant uh you know isn't going to be the same after this uh mcl like uh no he looks he looks fantastic so uh i, I think i think i probably unless he just feels like unless he's like 95 percent, i would probably just hold him out i think i I think I would just and frankly you, like their chances they're always big underdogs in the series I think if you can get this series to six games I mean this I'm sure this isn't how great Popovich is thinking but if you can get this series to six games win a couple at home maybe even try to win a third at home and, and get it to game seven like that to me is even like a win for them so like this is one of the I always usually hate this strategy at the end of games like this is almost like going for the quick two instead of going for the three you know at the end of a game right if you go for the three which would be trying to play him in game two you lose and then you know he's all swollen and he doesn't really recover that well after that you know you're just completely out of the series and it could be a sweep but here i think there's a little bit more value just for your franchise overall and just the, the feeling of the team uh their your confidence going forward that maybe you just try to stay in the series a, a little bit more so if he's not like 95 percent, i think i would sit him but it's obviously not an easy decision i don't think there's a right way one way or the other is that what you predict is going to happen I just don't know how bad it is. I think, like, if anything, this is worse. Yeah, it is what I predict is going to happen. Because if anything, this is worse, it would seem like, than the last one. Wait, right? he couldn't like, get off on his own power. He was, he was like, a, a Spurs assistant was helping. Yeah, he was ruled out for the rest of the game, and he sprained his ankle twice again. And so I think there's a real concern now that he, like, keeps doing this, that he really has got to get, like, that proprioception back as well. I mean, the first one, just, like, sprinting it on some guy on the bench, like, that's, like, that's the kind of thing that usually happens when you already have this issue so uh yeah i if i had to guess i would i would think that he's probably gonna not play but it'll be interesting i mean they've got a little bit more time because today was an early game but uh, not that much um any adjustments that you would make i mean i i'll say this i thought pop coached about as good of a game as you could have hoped for i mean I, we've been critical of his strategy for we're critical of his strategy last year against oklahoma city i i thought he played everything just about perfectly in this one I, I, unless you see it differently i agree with you and he did benefit from the warriors kind of playing into their hands a little bit not going small or anything like that but at the same yeah. point you know you, you you play you you play the cards that you've been dealt and i thought they did a really nice job of that so for me most of the adjustments are on the golden state side just going smaller more frequently iguodala potentially being limited or out certainly changes that a little bit but i don't think it changes it that much because they still have other guys mccaw matt barnes livingston who was very good in this game those are options that they can go to and the spurs don't have as many i mean we saw a little bit of kyle anderson in this game there was that play where you you kind of started going getting frustrated and i was too about the idea that they had kyle anderson on durant and durant never touched the ball and then two times later he got the ball and just smoked him and those sorts of things are more possible with the spurs perimeter players than with their than with their current starting five so that sort of thing in terms of san antonio no i thought i thought pop did a wonderful game I do think we probably need more Danny Green on Kevin Durant. He's really their only guy who is equipped to guard him right now. He's got too much size for the other option. 
Anderson is way too slow as we saw on that one play so that's going to be a huge issue now guarding Durant but if Kawhi can return and Iguodala is out I thought actually that KD despite Leonard's great game and a couple of rough foul calls against KD that KD did a great job on Leonard one-on-one they went away from that and the play that Kawhi sprained his ankle KD is really bad guarding guys coming off screen so I think you a lot more stuff with Kawhi coming off screens might be where they want to go but they can always switch that if they're not in their base lineups or you know with Pachulia at center as well like you probably got a screen for him with your center uh to make those work this is when Kawhi comes back of course but then they don't I mean Clay Thompson maybe would probably be your second best option on Kawhi I'd be interested to see how that matchup goes I think Clay's improved his strength but I mean Kawhi like Kawhi is just so fucking strong like it's unbelievable like the first play of the game he just like shoulders legally shouldered Durant like in the next week and scored I mean Durant was better after that but you know you don't see many guys go through Andre Iguodala or Clay Thompson and Kawhi has shown the the ability to do that at, at times these last couple of years but with Iguodala out, you know, it could definitely be a concern. Matt Barnes, no chance to guard Kawhi. Like the two possessions he had on him, he got completely destroyed. Uh, so I think Kawhi definitely can uh, can eat a little bit. And they're going to miss Andre defensively a lot. And then Livingston is way too skinny to, to guard Kawhi as well. So they may actually have to double. And with the Spurs going smaller, I think Kawhi becomes even more of a problem. And it, it'll be interesting to see whether the Warriors with Iguodala out do better over the long haul with their big lineup or their small lineup with Kawhi in the game. Uh, with Kawhi out, obviously, going small is, is the number one option because, you know, they just don't have enough wings and especially not enough big wings to compensate no arguments here all right we're pre-recording this part we'll be back with some other segment don't know what it's going to be yet but i promise you it'll be worth worthwhile worth your while and i'm not tripping over my words just because i don't know what it is yet but we'll have something right after this helix sleep is not at all difficult for me to do an ad for because they are the mattress that i sleep on i actually came to helix sleep independently My girlfriend did some research after another one-size-fits-all delivery mattress company failed us. We were really uncomfortable. We had to return it. And so she found Helix Sleep and found that we actually could customize it according to our sleep preference. Things like the temperature, the firmness. If you can't agree, they'll actually split it down the middle for you if you want. And they also were extremely competitive on price. You guys will be lucky, though, because now that they advertise on this podcast, they offer a $50 discount, which we were unable to get at the time since we found it independently. But you have to tell you about them so you're luckier than we were back then and again like if you're feeling like oh i can't like try it out at the store like you're not gonna actually learn anything by trying it out at the store you're just gonna lay there with your shoes on you're gonna leave your feet off the end of the bed because it's kind of weird to have your shoes on the bed it's got like three covers on top of it anyway you're not gonna lay there long enough to find out whether it's comfortable but what helix sleep does offer you is 100 days to try it out yourself so once again, the way to get started with them, helixsleep.com slash catspace. That'll let them know, number one, that you came from us. And number two, get you that $50 discount, helixsleep.com slash catspace. The vanquished Houston Rockets. I see basically two key scenarios for them in terms of cap, and then maybe one more in terms of trade. I think they can just stand pat. If they do that, they'll have about $11 million that's without Nene, and they probably will want to just stay over the cap, and they 
can either bring Nene back with part of their full mid-level exception and also use their biannual exception as well if they care to or just try and find some other free agent maybe more of a wing type more of a playmaker Mike D'Antoni said the big thing they need to do is get better on defense get top 10 in defense I don't think that's possible with the existing personnel so that's one scenario the other scenario I had that I wanted to ask you about is what if they just dump Lou Will and Ryan Anderson or some combination thereof I think both of those guys pass your NNA test you may disagree get up to 35 million in space and really go after some big fish I support both strategies and do not feel that they're mutually exclusive for the first four or five days of free agency that is when you know go ahead but but don't you need to go if you're going to do that strategy don't you need to go after like either Blake Griffin or Gordon Hayward or Paul Millsap right that's what I'm saying you have you you try to have those conversations and you tell them if if you come we'll we'll clear the money I don't think they need to worry about that you know if they if they need to clear Lou Williams or Trevor Ariza or Ryan Anderson Anderson well they can't trade Ariza though they they got to keep him just because they need somebody who can to be a three and D guy well the idea would be that if the idea would be if they got Gordon Hayward maybe they would be able to even then I think the whole point is you add him and you play Hayward at the four I'd be fine with that too I mean you could you could do it either way I haven't gone through the specific Hayward math but so the way that I think about Houston is I think they have a shot to get a big fish cap wise either this summer or next summer and it's not the easiest path but it's doable because they have just the the worst contract they had on their books they traded away and got a positive contract in Lou Williams with the the Brewer trade they gave up a first but it was worth it and the problem with that approach should they do it is that it gets harder the more money you spend this summer that applies into next year and and they might just go that's unrealistic it's hard to get a guy for that price and all that sort of stuff but I think that's the way for Houston to if they want to become a title contender I think they need to add somebody who will be at minimum their second best player and that and free agency is really the the way to do that in all practicality so they can go after those guys but I'm intrigued by your idea of a trade target because that could be a way to kind of bridge the gap if those guys don't say yes Let's get to that in a second. The one thing I wanted to add is not only do I think that getting moving on from Anderson is a good idea right now if you can get the big fish, but they might want to do it anyway just to try and like sign, you know, some lower level guys who are a little bit more three and D, like, you know, a PJ Tucker type of guy instead of Anderson for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think Anderson's defense is so bad that you just you can't really get into that top 10 level of defense that you need to be if you're really going to compete with the Warriors or even frankly, probably the Spurs or the Cavs uh if if he's a major part of your rotation and then secondly you've gotten now the biggest value year out of that contract he's due 20 million a year for the next three years he's 29 he looked great this year he was on a good team he stayed healthy all year this might be the time because we were critical of that contract remember because of the long-term implications the health implications how that he was going to age poorly he's not getting any better on defense that's for sure so maybe you the fact that you you can just kind of thank god you got what you did out of him this year and just say hey you know if we can like this means his value is high enough that we can just trade him let's get rid of him now before like this contract really turns sour on us and let's just go out and spend 20 million dollars in the free agent market even if it's just to shore up some more depth and you know pick up like Tabo Cephalosha or PJ Tucker or James Johnson or Patrick Patterson or just somebody who can do be a little bit more of a two-way player than Anderson it's certainly a justifiable idea you have to think a little bit about the long-term theory of it of guys don't necessarily love it if 
you can if you sign for agents to a four-year contract and trade them one year in, though it is the business. So you think about it. I don't know that you necessarily go one way or the other, but you're right that outside of that part of it, it would be the right move for the team, especially if another franchise sees him as passing the Nene test because they got the surplus the surplus value already. If somebody else wants to take on the risk, by all means. Yeah, and you have to add Sacramento. Maybe they're thinking of Scal as their main guy now at the four, but you know and they offered him the that area same too. contract. Yeah, he's from house Chico. in the area, as Bill Bulls bloggers so often said about uh, Kirk Heinrich. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of teams that you feel like, like you know, Minnesota would probably be interested in. There's there's a lot of teams I think that w- would take that contract on, especially after they strike out in free agency. But here are my list of kind of trade targets that they could go after instead. Now they would have to give up an asset here. I don't think any of their young guys. Uh, uh, hey, maybe Sam Decker could fall into this category of someone that they could just straight up trade for these guys. But they might have to go for a first round pick. They've got those seconds as well this year, forty three and 45 uh they also have zuki i think is, is how you say his name uh zuchi maybe uh i think it's zuchi but i'm not sure thank you it might even be zochi anyway now now that we've done three permutations of both his first and last name someone can tell us i used that is this one of the things about oh like, actually there's a really yeah. cool thing out there I, i'd have to find the link again if it's people and basketball players saying their own names i thought that's a very useful one huh. or yeah they're, they're probably it's in some pronunciation guy he actually is in houston already working out so it, the plan was always for him to join this year so you have to imagine he'll be on the team but probably is thin enough that he's going to need to get some time uh with rio grande valley vipers all right anyway back to the trade targets Wes matthews with dallas i think is someone that they could look at uh and, and also some of these guys might be more available at the trade deadline too so making the move for them right away maybe you you get them for cheaper at the trade deadline and you kind of know what you need you see if there's any injuries those teams are out of it so they don't have delusions of grandeur so maybe you wait until then so i thought west matthews would be a guy i think that could help them that still makes them really small you know if you're playing him at the three uh because i I think they really just need more athleticism at the four to some degree someone who can block a shot or get a rebound get in the offensive glass get out in transition i mean i really thought that they were less athletic than the spurs were Dejounte murray john simmons like especially with harden too like who plays at like three miles an hour all the time like you really need a lot of athletes around him so uh maybe going for a veteran is not as appealing uh, so that was one name. I'll give you all these names. You tell me who you think would be like the most interesting. You, uh, Wilson Chandler, of course, perpetually on the block. You know, you would think any kind of a first round pick at this point, even you know what's likely to be a late one, they could move. Uh, that would have to wait until after the draft, but they could do it. Chandler, a bit of an injury risk. He's getting up there as well. He's under contract for one more year at about fourteen million. Uh, any of the Detroit guys, uh, Stanley Johnson as kind of a distressed asset there, uh, but someone who I think defensively could be good. And if he had more time and space, maybe he could get to be at least passable from three-point range, play, just play him at the four a lot. Marcus Morris could be another guy too, if he's kind of out of favor in Detroit. You could also go for like a younger guy and the price on someone like this would be interesting, but like Rodney Magruder, maybe try and get him or Dorian Finney-Smith uh, in Dallas. Like that would be another interesting one one and then uh solomon hill courtney lee and jared dudley would be some others as well uh hill of course making 12 million a year looked worse than he actually is last year in new orleans because he was playing mostly at the three that'd be hilarious if they traded like 
Ryan Anderson back to New Orleans again. Like how many ridiculous like transactions there have been between Houston and New Orleans. No, they should do that with Eric Gordon just to completely troll him. Be like, congratulations. God, Eric, Eric Gordon, like might commit like seppuku at that point. Like he, he would, if he actually knows what that is, which he probably doesn't. But uh, anyway, so uh, of all those options, did any, any of those like strike your fancy? Like, all right, we're going to trade a future first round pick or in the case of Hill, maybe just, you know, take him on and give the Pels a little salary relief or something. Three of them did. Wilson Chandler is a, a really nice fit. I think that the versatility, if you could keep Chandler and Trevor Ariza, would be a lot of fun. Could kind of run in those directions. Have another good wing defender as well. So in case Ariza's in foul trouble. Then the two Detroit guys, Stanley and Marcus Morris, depending on how much you like those guys, you could also take on some of their undesirable salary, considering it's looking like they're going to be expensive in the very, very near future. That could be a way to, to make that work without giving up as much in terms of present assets. And I wanted to add one guy. I'm not sure how much you would consider him in terms of athleticism, but if the Pacers decided to trade Paul George, as you and I both advocated for previously, assuming the offers are reasonable, Thaddeus Young would also be an option for them. Oh yeah, that is an interesting one. Uh, That would be something they could look at, I think. Uh, and you know, a late first rounder for him would probably be reasonable. Again, and, and he would, yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't that uh, their their first projects to be late a lot later than like number twenty one, which they gave up for. And remember, and they also had to give up uh that weird reverse protected second rounder that's kind of limiting their flexibility too. That it has to be in the top half of the second round. Uh, so that's actually you know that's more a lot more than it, they'd probably be getting back. But they got a year of his services. Um, none of those guys are really perfect to be honest but i mean i think they just they have to get better defensively and hopefully it can be someone who can at least be decent what about in the free agent market let's say you know either they moved lou williams or they they hold on to him or you know even if they were to move anderson just some of the guys that are on the market that might be in their range does anyone pop out to you there again i'm my 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 thought is i mean they're going to need another backup center probably especially unless they bring back nene and i don't know if nene is going to be as cheap this time around around we'll see he said he really revitalized his career and was having fun so maybe he'll just come back for the same amount again he's made plenty of money in his career uh but outside of backup center which i think there'll be plenty of options for cheap i'm thinking you know combo forward small forward maybe like a, a good defending too but i mean someone with some more size so trevor ariza doesn't have to play the four there are a lot of guys that I like for them, depending, you know, the years, not dollars is important. Dante Cunningham could be interesting on the lower end. Luke Richard and Bob Mute, James Johnson, are probably a little bit higher. And then somebody who I'm not confident that they could get, but I think would be a really ambitious offer. And considering Daryl Morey's proclivity for this, it could work. Jonathan Simmons, Arenas Limited, make him a big offer. And worst comes to worst, you just make San Antonio pay. You know, I, I thought that too, but I think he just doesn't quite have the size for what I'm looking for like they already i mean if you think about it like you're basically gonna have to play him at the three because they got harden gordon and beverly and then they also got to mix in lou williams as well unless they get rid of him that's basically four shooting guard guys you already size guys you already got in your roster and simmons it's not doesn't quite have the he's got some athleticism offensively but doesn't quite have the size to me to where like the fit isn't quite good enough to me to really to want to pay that premium you got to pay for him as a restricted well, like I, I it occurred to me too but then i i thought about more i was like ah, i'm not sure if that 
that would be that great. The logic for me is that he is, to me, he is the Ariza replacement. That's the idea for him, is that eventually, because yeah. like the idea that Ariza is a little bit too old for, for Harden and the rest of their core. And so you can play them together, sure, by all means, but you could also trade Ariza for something else. You could keep, keep him around, whatever makes you happy. And then you could also, you'd probably still have enough money, depending on how they manage everything else. And again, this is moving Ariza, to get James Johnson or to get, you know, somebody else like that. And so you can kind of fix both, you can kind of fix both things in the same summer. You just do it with the reverse priority. And I think that might actually work if they don't love like Patrick Patterson or somebody like that, former Rocket Patrick Patterson. Yeah, that's right. I still think someone's a little bit too small for that. But uh, like on the lower end, Jonas Jarebko could be another guy. And they got to hope too that Sam Decker can really mature into more of that role lately because they need, they got to have someone else on the roster. Like in that series against, against San Antonio, they had one guy who you could even think about him defending Kawhi Leonard and that was Ariza and then Ariza also has got to play at the four in the small lineups so it's just like they got to get someone else and maybe Decker evolves into that guy I don't think he quite has the athleticism or the strength at this point so you know PJ Tucker could be someone who would be in there too I think uh, they also wanted some more playmaking and he's not he's a little thin for this but uh if the Warriors feel like they can't afford to bring back Sean Livingston uh that they could definitely go in that direction as well like that as a guy who could bring the ball up court get into the post every once in a while on switches and play some good defense you know but the question i mean it's going to be really interesting for we're talking about a lot of guys now early 30s you know what's the price on those guys how many years you know houston does not like to give out bad contracts but they're at the point now harden he's going to turn 29 i think during next season like this is the year this year right now coming up is probably i don't think it's a good chance but probably their best chance to win a championship or even get back to the west finals or the finals you know harden is going to start decline that like this probably in all likelihood was the best regular season that Harden is ever going to have so I mean maybe you, you say all right you, you know we're okay cluttering up our books a little bit later on just to try and like get these guys on our roster for right now and make make this big push with Harden the next year or two that's pretty much what they did last year with Gordon and Ryan Anderson yeah it seemed like it uh and then Gordon I think is going to be a, a value contract uh and you know Anderson I think could fall off but again like it's all you also have to remember like there's such a difference I think it I mean this is the one of the things that really has been crystallizing for me over the last like year and a half or so is just the idea of like who's good during the regular season Ryan Anderson was great during the regular season he was a huge part of what made their system go but really just his defensive limitations probably were worse than what he brought you on offense when you can really lock in and attack him and you've got teams that you know can switch and like make sure they're not going to give up open pick and pop threes to him or you just you put your three man on him because he's not going to post up that hard you put your four on a reset like tactics like that can kind of eliminate him so i do think that he you know kind of like i know this is the first time he's ever made the second round in his career at least since his orlando days when he wasn't as big a guy of a part of the rotation but he's kind of just another one of these guys who's like just better on a bad team you know he can like help you win some games during the regular season but just in the playoffs he's you know maybe he's got to be like at best you know a, a bench big but he's, of course, making starter money. Did we talk about Sergio Yule at all? Because he's another possibility to, for some of their cap space. Uh, all accounts are that he like re-signed for like three years with uh, Real Madrid last summer. So I don't, I haven't heard okay. anything about him coming out over. They do have Alessandro Gentile, but I don't know if he's really who's a combo forward, but you know, kind of a gunner type athletic for europe but not really for the nba I, I don't know that he's an nba player i mean they might want to bring him over at some point but uh you know i don't think he's even you know one of the better players in europe at this point so you're probably probably not really gonna say that he's gonna make much of a difference um 
I think that's about all I've got. I guess we, we a couple of things to talk about are the extension possibilities that they have coming up. Yeah, so they have they have two interesting extension things. The big one in terms of kind of the cap structure is Clint Capella. Capella is, I mean, he's a good player. I think they're happy with where he is. But the problem in terms of getting an extension done is the the prospect of 2018 space. Because even with the new rules, I think I have his cap hold at a little bit over seven million. He's obviously going to be making a lot more than that. So if you sign him to an extension, you replace that number, and that might be a problem for them if they want to spend. Yeah, and I think with the center market as impact as it is unless he gives a substantial discount i mean you also want to see if he can make some more strides this year they worry a little bit uh sam amick and, and zach Lowe were discussing this on zach's podcast sam spent some time embedded with the rockets and said that like one of their concerns actually no it was zach who said this at the beginning of the year was that capella's wind is just not that great and it's just his ability to play a lot of minutes in a row like it seems like he's always going to kind of be like a 25 minute game player so if he can't evolve beyond that that obviously affects his price and then you know just in terms of the flexibility like you, you just to, to save that they prize their flexibility so um yeah i mean i i don't think you know unless he were gonna sign for something like you know 11 million a year which i highly doubt uh then i don't think i would i would be too interested in in him uh as as an extension candidate. i mean i'd like to keep him on the team but let the market set his price and restricted free agency and then they also at some point can offer james harden the designated player veteran extension he will have two years left uh, on his deal and then a third year uh, player option making about 30 million uh they would be able to offer him 35 so that's something that'll probably start getting talked about he actually got grandfathered into that under just like russell westbrook did so they'll be able to give him that extension but you know it wouldn't be able to kick in until the end of uh his contract right now it would also be fascinating to see if they wanted to negotiate it now because as i understand it it's six seasons from when it is signed so as you said it doesn't replace the the money for the existing years on his contract he would decline his player option so that year it would so it would actually be better for the rockets if they want to give him that extension to do it now as opposed to waiting a year because then you're getting you're getting another post prime year at a ridiculous sum yeah that's right i mean i think to be able to just add on essentially six three more years instead of you know if you were to decline his his, uh, player option would be a lot better than having it go four more years or even five more years once you're uh and I guess it would be I guess it would be four more years if he does it now yeah, right it would be, it would be. and and for him yeah it, it, it's less pressing than with Westbrook because with Westbrook he had he has one fewer year left on his contract so if he declines that extension now then he's a free agent after next year that's a very different thing than Harden because he's still another year away all right I think we're done here thanks so much for listening we'll be back tomorrow night with the Twitter NBA show if you'd like to support the Twitter NBA show patreon.com slash Duncan LaRue which we hand included on our brand new backdrop for the show so please check that out it's an alternate play-by-play essentially and we've actually even included now a second camera that just shows the clock of the game so it's much easier for people to sync up at this point so hopefully that'll help us increase our viewership that of course is a, a lot of fun to do and our sponsors today helixsleep.com slash capspace that'll get you fifty dollars off a helix sleep mattress and bespoke post try the post.com slash cap space or use the cap space code and get 20% off your first box. Talk to you all tomorrow night when we know who will be in the Eastern Conference Finals hoping for a classic Wizard Celtics game. Till then. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. 